Welcome to Christ in the Old Testament Sacrifices. My name is Pastor Doug Minton, here to have a brief series of Bible studies based on how Jesus is found in the Levitical sacrifices of Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. So how does Jesus relate to all the sacrifices that we continually say point toward him? So we're going to do that over this series of episodes. The first sacrifice described in Leviticus is the whole burnt offering or the holocaust from the Greek word holokomatoma. In this sacrifice, the entire animal is consumed by fire. It is the only sacrifice where everything is burnt, which is why it's called the whole burnt offering. The central focus of the Bible is the atoning sacrifice of Christ for the sins of the world. Christ is both the priest offering the sacrifice and the sacrifice victim. This is corroborated by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 9, verses 11 through 28. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once into all the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Here we have in black and white the very basis for the foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Christ by the entire Old Testament law. Now let's take a look at how this is fulfilled in the whole burnt offering. First, we have the priest. Caiaphas was the high priest at the time of Good Friday, but Caiaphas did not sacrifice Christ. In fact, Caiaphas merely wanted Christ to be dead so that he could continue his work without the meddling of some rebel rabbi stirring up the people with a message they didn't need to hear. Christ had the power to stop everything from happening. 
while he was upon the cross. He was insulted by the chief priests and the elders. One of those taunts was, So, you who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Mark 15, verses 29 and 30. He had the power to do it, but he didn't use it. He was too busy interceding for those who were mocking and jeering him. Okay, now the sacrifice. And the whole burnt offering, the entire sacrifice was consumed by fire. It is in this way that all of Jesus died on the cross. It is very fitting and proper to say that God died on the cross. Some people believe that's proof of the anti-intellectual nature of Christianity. We believe in a God who died. Gods aren't supposed to die. They aren't very good as gods if they're dead. However, this God Jesus came to earth to be the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. It is here where the whole burnt offering foreshadows the complete consumption of Christ in the torments of hell as he hung on the cross. Let's look at the instructions God gives to Moses in Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons the priest shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it in pieces, and the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons the priest shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. What are the requirements for a bull to be offered as a whole burnt offering? It's a male without blemish. All right, what is the procedure for the sacrifice, and how does it relate to the passion? Okay, so verse 3 of Leviticus 1 says, The sinner presents the animal to be sacrificed before the tabernacle or the temple. Christ was presented for a sacrifice without physical or spiritual blemish. Hebrews 9.14 Secondly, the sinner lays his hands on the sacrifice to identify himself with the sacrifice. Leviticus 1.4 the sins of the world were laid upon Christ as he was raised onto the cross, as you can see from Romans 6, 3-10, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and 1 Peter 2, 24. Third, the animal was slaughtered in verse 5. Christ was beaten before being crucified, as you can see in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 22, and in also, very graphically, in the movie The Passion of the Christ. Next, the priest flings the drained blood against the altar. Well, who is the priest who offered Christ a sacrifice? Well, that was Jesus himself, Hebrews 9.14, but also John 19.17. The blood from the wounds he received during his beating dripped on the cross, sanctifying the cross just as the blood sanctified the altar. The fifth step, the animal is skinned and chopped into pieces. The beating was done in such a way that the flesh of his back had been flayed and sliced by glass, rock, nails, etc. Anything that would rip open the skin 
was tied into those cat of nine tails. The sixth step was the fire is put on the altar. This instruction can be confusing since God sent down the initial fire to accept the sacrifices of Aaron and his sons at their ordination and in Leviticus 9, but also at the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles 7. It is better understood as kindling and stoking the fire after the ashes from the previous sacrifices were made. So how does this work with the crucifixion? Fire is one of the primary symbols of God's holiness and presence. That can be found in Deuteronomy 4.24 and Hebrews 12.29. A pillar of fire led the children of Israel through the wilderness at night. Numbers 9.15-23. It was fire in a bush when God manifested himself to Moses the first time in Exodus 3. In this instance, the holiness of God is shown in that the sacrifice, substituting for the sinner, is utterly consumed in God's condemning wrath. Genesis 19.24, Mark 9. 43-48, and Revelation 20, 11-15. So what is the wrath here? That is the torments of hell that Jesus suffers on the cross. Step 7 was the pieces of the animal were spread on the altar. Verse 8 of Leviticus 1. Christ carried his own altar as the cross was laid upon his shoulders to carry it to Calvary. John 19, 17. Uh, the entrails and the shins were washed with water in Leviticus 1.8. The closest I can come to this would be the story of Mary of Bethany, who prepared our Lord for a sacrifice by anointing his head with the expensive perfume, as can be found in Matthew 26, 6-13, Mark 14, 3-9, and John 12, 1-8. And then finally, in verse 9 of Leviticus 1, fire consumed everything. The entire being of Christ. Both God the Son and the human Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. Nothing of his person was lacking upon the cross. Also, the verb for burn in this verse literally means to exhale an odor and distinguishes common burning from the burning in the temple service. This can be seen in the Passion narrative as Jesus gave up his spirit, John 19.30, and breathed his last, Luke 23.46. What is the atonement here? Did this sacrifice deliver atonement for the sinner? No. This instance of the phrase is merely in connection to the substitutionary nature of the imposition of hands on the sacrifices, and not the office of the priesthood as with other offerings. The whole burnt offering was simply God and man coming together. God accepting the sacrifice of man who is asking for the atonement from his sins. Now in the rest of Leviticus chapter 1, there are differences based on your social status as to what you could offer. The primary re requirement was a bull. But if you could not afford a bull, you could do a sheep or a goat. And it still had the same requirements, a male a year old without blemish. But when we get to even below that, if you could not afford a sheep or a goat, you could sacrifice two birds. And there were differences. First, the birds were not completely consumed by fire. The crop of the bird is thrown onto the pile of ashes, and there's no laying of hands 
on the birds because that was unnecessary because the birds are too small. And with that, the birds are not divided completely. They are just taken and flung bodily onto the fire. So why were there three different tiers of the whole burnt offering, where we don't get that in other offerings? Because no one was denied access to this offering. Everyone sins. So no matter what your social status, that sin needs to be covered. And therefore, you must be able to make an offering. So God has this three-tier system for the whole burnt offering. Now, the animal for the Holocaust differs based on the economic status of the one bringing it. So we see how these animals signify Christ and his role in salvation. First, we have the bull. Christ as patient and enduring as the suffering servant of God, which can be found in Hebrews 12, 2 through 3, but also in Isaiah 52, 13 to 15, as he was obedient unto death, as also seen in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. The sheep symbolizes Christ's selfless self-surrender to death on the cross, as can be found in Isaiah 53, 7 and Acts 8, 32 through 35. The goat symbolizes Christ as the one who knew no sin that had become sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21, who was being numbered with the transgressors, Isaiah 53.12. And then the turtle dove and pigeon, Christ became poor in that he left his heavenly home to come to earth for our sins. So it is also when Jesus is presented at the temple in Luke chapter 2, that the offering there, the whole burnt offering made for Jesus is two turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is the basis for the extreme poverty that Jesus takes, going from the heights of the heavenly throne down to the lowest of the low, so that he can be there for us, regardless of who we are. So as we go through the rest of Leviticus, we have a kind of a priest handbook in chapters 6 and 7, where the priests are given a few additional instructions. But primarily for this, the main instruction was that the fire could never go out. The fire was never supposed to be extinguished. So the priest must take the ashes out of the city to a clean place. And this must be done daily if not multiple times a day. But what is it in our sanctuary that symbolizes the same idea of the fire never being put out? That would be the eternal flame lamp that reminds us that we belong to God and that we are His, and at His light, His as fire can be wrath, his wrath is there for sin, but it's also a light to guide us as the pillar of fire led the people of Israel through the wilderness at night. So how can we apply what we've learned from the Holocaust to our everyday lives? Simple. The Holocaust had to be offered every morning and evening. It was designed to remind the children of Israel of what God was doing for them so too we should remember what God has done for us every day. 
How do we do that? Remembering our baptism, prayer, having devotions with our Lord on a daily basis. In the small catechism, Luther writes a small section about the duties of different vocations and gives examples of prayers to begin and end the day. Luther instructs us that every morning and every evening we should make the sign of the cross to remember our baptism, pray the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer, and then spend time in devotion. After that, we're either to go about our daily work with joy or go to sleep in peace. Luther saw this as a fulfillment of the sacrifices of the Holocaust. They were offered morning and evening as the children of Israel remembered the blessings God had given to them. So we should remember everything that we have, including our salvation, is a blessing from God. That's it for the Holocaust. I thank you for being here for this, and let us close with a word of prayer. Almighty and eternal God, because it was your will that your Son should bear the pains of the cross for us, and thus remove from us the power of the adversary, Help us so to remember and give thanks for our Lord's passion that we may receive remission of our sins and redemption from everlasting death. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.